I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Trubisky, three to run, floats it to the outside. It is caught by Montgomery. Montgomery makes a move upfield and breaks it to the clear. Touchdown, Bears. Trubisky kept the play alive, and then Montgomery did the rest. Here's all you need to know about how the gambling world looks at the acquisition of Mitch Trubisky by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tim Benz with you at Pittsburgh CityCast. Download the app today for BetRivers or go to BetRivers.com. That's where you can find odds on the Super Bowl for next year in our NFL Futures section. And if you have checked that out in recent months, pretty much since the end of the Bengals-Rams Super Bowl back in February, you've been able to see the Steelers have been at plus 5,000. That's that's been a pretty consistent number for Pittsburgh ever since the Super Bowl ended, plus 5,000 for next year. Then yesterday, they go out and get Trubisky, and the odds expand to plus 6,000. What's that tell you? Meanwhile, this guy was positioned, postured, to be an upgrade on Mason Rudolph, and now he's been acquired by the Steelers, and somehow they are viewed as even more of a long shot. I guess the views of this acquisition and of this team inside and outside of the Steel City are quite different, aren't they? Yet Trubisky comes to the Steelers, and you would assume now that means he'll be replacing Mason Rudolph. Wow, and just look at this. The only AFC teams with now longer odds to get to the Super Bowl and win it, Jacksonville, Houston, and the Jets, the only AFC teams with longer odds than the Steelers. In fact, those teams to win the AFC, Pittsburgh at plus 2,800 with the Raiders and Dolphins, 
Then it's Jacksonville at plus 4,000 after an active day for them. Houston plus 7,000. The Jets plus 7,000. I'm trying to figure out if people are maybe viewing this acquisition of Trubisky and the sort of cause and effect to what it's done to the mild shift in the line. Are, are we looking at it from the standpoint that we think the Steelers have an even worse shot now that Trubisky is the quarterback instead of Rudolph? I mean, I'm down on Trubisky, but not to that degree. Or are we more looking at it from the standpoint of, well, getting Trubisky means they won't get Deshaun Watson. Uh, the hope is gone for Aaron Rodgers. The hope is gone for Russell Wilson. The hope is gone for Derek Carr. And now the hope is maybe even gone for Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. Like, were people actually holding on to that hope that they'd be immediately better at the quarterback position until they got Trubisky, and that's the signal that one of those guys won't be coming, and that's why we're seeing uh, the mild shift even more towards the negative about what the Steelers are going to be next season. I suppose that could be the interpretation as well. But I know this, the Steelers are plus 650 to win the AFC North, and honestly, that could be at plus 2,800 to me too. They have just about as much of a shot of winning that division as they do the conference, seeing as how even with Trubisky, they still have the fourth best quarterback in their own division. Yes, I am counting Baker Mayfield. What I saw from a healthy Baker in 2020s compared to Mitch Trubisky the last year he started for the Bears before he went to the Bills, Baker was a better quarterback, and I think the Steelers are very firmly entrenched, and rightfully so, as the fourth-place team in that division. The odds currently with the Bengals as the favorite, plus 175, Ravens plus 180, and the Browns at plus 300. Uh, I would think that the Bengals would become even more of a favorite if they continue to address their needs in the manner that they have, already getting two offensive linemen, uh, shoring up one of their own up front in B.J. Williams. Yes, they lost C.J. Azuma, but getting Ted Karras and Alex Kappa, I think that's a nice get by Cincinnati as they try to restructure the weakest point of their team, that being the offensive line. We will talk more about the odds as they relate to the Penguins uh, tonight against the Predators. A quick look shows the Pens at minus 1.5, plus 205 on the puck line. The Predators, plus one and a half, minus 250 on the puck line. Penn's slight favorites on the money line at minus 118 to win. Predators, home underdogs at plus 102. Uh, definitely the value there for the Predators, what I think is a very even game. Over under six is the goal total right now. And those two teams have each had a game in their last three that's gone under and two that have gone over. Uh, I think I might lean to the over there, especially with the way Nashville has been scoring. We'll get more into that uh, a little bit later on as we hear from Brian Metzer, the Penguins Radio Network. But I want to stick with the Trubisky conversation for the time being because I think we need a little historical reference before dissecting the decision by the Steelers to sign Trubisky. Like, let's go back to March 4th, 2021. The Steelers reworked Ben Roethlisberger's contract for one final season in the fall. One last kick at the can for Big Ben. Then on March 18th, Trubisky signs a contract to be the Buffalo Bills backup quarterback after getting no offers to be a starter following his release from the Bears. Now, pretend at that moment that I had said, fret not, Pittsburgh. When Big Ben retires after this season, I believe the Steelers will sign Mitch Trubisky away from Buffalo to replace Roethlisberger in 2022. Rejoice! I would have been excoriated for even advancing that opinion, appropriately, might I add. 
Yet here we are a year later. Trubisky has thrown only eight passes since then, and the Steelers did exactly that. They signed Trubisky to a two-year contract to presumably become the franchise's next starter. I sent multiple tweets disagreeing with the move, and I was excoriated for advancing that opinion. Gee, it's funny how perspectives change, even though Trubisky's performance never had a chance to. I guess that's the difference between Steelers' theory and Steelers' reality. Once pen goes to paper and you get a hypocycloid stamp of approval, the roads are paved with adoring black and gold fans wherever you may roam until your first interception, of course, and then forget about all that. Now, let's be honest. The news of Trubisky's signing was met with wild applause in Pittsburgh on Monday for one reason. Most Steelers fans have no faith that Mason Rudolph, the incumbent quarterback, the perceived starter before this move, can capably replace Roethlisberger. And essentially, Trubisky's best attribute is that he isn't Rudolph. Well, except in a lot of ways, he actually is. Trubisky's career completion percentage is 64.1. Rudolph's is 61.5. Rudolph averages 6.2 yards per attempt. Trubisky is at 6.7. In his last year as a starter, Trubisky was 6-3 and three for the Bears. Rudolph in his last year as a starter, 2019 for the Steelers, 5-3. and three. So I'll agree with the masses that Trubisky is a little better. Plus, he is more athletic, has more experience, and has the pedigree of being an actual first-round draft choice. And not just the Steelers' non-specific tag of giving Rudolph a first-round grade. An actual second overall pick. Fine. So, what does that translate to in terms of a win total for 22? What were you thinking with Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins manning the ship in Pittsburgh this fall? Six or seven wins after scratching their way to nine a season ago? Like, that would have been my prediction. What will Trubisky get them if he stays healthy all year? Eight or nine wins? And in a best-case scenario, another first-round blowout playoff loss? Like, is that the ceiling? Is that the high end? Because if so, then... What's the point of bringing Trubisky on and just cluttering the quarterback room and taking up whatever modicum of cap space he's taking up? If Rudolph or Haskins quarterbacks the Steelers to start 2022, as I said earlier, I think the organization would have the worst starting quarterback in the division. Like, would you put either of those two in front of Burrow, Jackson, or Baker? Jackson's been an MVP. Burrow might be one soon, and As little as Pittsburgh seems to think of Mayfield, myself included, I still wouldn't place him behind those two guys, nor would I put him behind Trubisky for the reasons I said before. You know, Baker, pre-injuries, Trubisky last year as a starter, I still think Baker's slightly better. So if the Steelers are entering 2022 in the AFC North, still with the fourth best quarterback in the division, regardless of how you slice it, and unlikely to win double-digit games with any of those three options of quarterback, what's the point of signing him? Why not take that money, whatever it is, that's being spent on Trubisky and spend it elsewhere, like anywhere? Tom Pellicero of the NFL Network says the contract is a two-year deal with $14.25 million with incentives that could be reaching uh, roughly $27 million. Indeed, that could end up being a pretty nice bargain. Uh, at least initially, it could be a nice bargain. So for the sake of argument, let's keep it easy and split that number in half and say $7 million per year. What can that get you? Well, what's it going to take to retain Akella Witherspoon at corner? Cameron Sutton is making $5.2 million if you want to comp. Trubisky's number should cover that, leaving funds that would otherwise be spent on Witherspoon that can be used elsewhere. 
As another point of reference, Joe Schobert is slated to make $8.75 million in cash in 2022 and $1.8 million in a dead cap charge. Maybe the money toward an upgraded inside linebacker could be facilitated, at least a large chunk of it, $7 million of it, by using what you're now paying Trubisky. You know, a popular rallying cry in Pittsburgh is that Trubisky is better than his Chicago resume indicates because Matt Nagy ruined him or stunted his development. But current Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada, who Pittsburgh fans habitually eviscerate after every game, he's going to be the guy that fixes Trubisky? Is that the narrative we're spinning? Canada is portrayed by most fans as an underqualified, overexposed college coach who couldn't make an offense work with a Hall of Famer under center. But because Trubisky can at least run a little and escape the horrid offensive line pass blocking, Canada's true genius will shine through. Okay, got it. Wow, a little Steelers pixie dust sure does go a long way in March, doesn't it? We're like bumping rails of black and gold pixie dust around here. I got nothing against Trubisky. I just don't like the move, mainly because I don't see the need for it. It's throwing numbers at a position that only needs one healthy starter and a capable backup. My quarterback flow chart was to swing for the fences on Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or Derek Carr. Based on how things turned out in these circumstances, I get why they didn't. My next option would have been to draft the first-round quarterback if they saw one they really liked. Perhaps they didn't find one. After that, I just don't see the value in muddling the quarterback position with a bridge quarterback like Trubisky. I keep seeing that phrase used to describe him, a bridge quarterback. I thought that's what Rudolph was supposed to be when they gave him another year on his deal for 2022. A bridge to what? Another Roethlisberger or another Cliff Stout? The only thing I know about bridges in Pittsburgh is that they're often shut down, congested, occasionally catch fire, and sometimes collapse. If Trubisky is the guy we're talking about, I'm a little worried the analogy is going to feel a little too accurate. Again, win totals aren't out yet for teams. We haven't gone through free agency, haven't gone through the draft. My supposition was going to be that if it was Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins as the starting quarterbacks, the options for the Steelers, you would have seen an over-under win total maybe at like 7.5. With Trubisky, I'm guessing it's around 8.5. And with those three and maybe a rookie somehow in the mix, to me, all that does is clutter the conversation and clutter the minds of the coaches to actually stick with one guy or another. All right, let's hear what Danny Burke has to say. Danny from the Chicago City Cast. You can also hear him on VEASAN. He spoke with me on the Breakfast with Ben's podcast about what the Steelers are really getting in Mitch Trubisky. He knows he's seen his whole career in a Bears uniform. Uh, This is Danny speaking with me yesterday on Trib Live. Uh, what will the Trubisky era be like here in Pittsburgh? Uh, well, I mean, what will it be like? It'll probably be a lot of frustrations and your expectations coming to fruition because I feel like a majority of NFL fans, and probably, I mean, you can attest to it more so, but the fan base of the Steelers realize what they're getting with Mitch Trubisky. But I think you kind of just said it perfect when you said all right well he was most recently with the bills and he didn't really play but i guess that made him better because everybody has this revisionist history with trubisky and his tenure with the bears for some reason i mean even still some bears fans are delusional to think that 
oh, it was completely Matt Nagy for the reason that Trubisky didn't work out. Granted, Matt Nagy was a huge issue, if not more than Trubisky, but let's not just act like Trubisky wasn't completely limited. I mean, this guy could not consistently throw the ball downfield. The offense had to go with lateral movements consistently because of his inability to have consistent, accurate throws and just his depth of how far he could throw and just overthrowing receivers under the, whatever it was, there was nothing consistent or reliable with Trubisky. Yeah, he'll give you a good play here or there where a throw does get in to the bread basket or he'll extend some plays with his mobility, but at the end of the day, he's not going to be the guy you want him to be. It was clearly a mistake that they drafted him. He didn't really have that big of a sample size coming out of college to begin with, and it's showing that he's just not the quarterback everybody thought he could be, or at least Bears uh, front office and fans hoped he could be. And now he's coming into arguably the second toughest division in football. I I just don't think the Steelers get better from this. So the Nagy thing isn't just what's happening here in Pittsburgh, because look, I know in Pittsburgh, nobody's better at blaming the coaches, particularly the offensive play caller or offensive coaches for everything. I mean, we love to blame the offensive coordinator (laughs) around here. So how much of the offensive design structure execution how much of that was to be blamed on Matt Nagy I think originally like if if Trubisky did end up going with a different coach right out of the gates I think he would be a better player so I think a little of that could be put on Nagy for again maybe not believing Mitch enough or just getting him the right play calls but I also think Again, it's just because Trubisky athletically and just skill-wise is limited. So I'd probably say at the end of the day, like, you know, if you put Trubisky, say, under Sean McVay or Kyle Shannon, like, there's no doubt they could have a successful team with Trubisky as their quarterback, maybe not going all the way because I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback. And if they couldn't do it with Jimmy Garoppolo, then I don't think they could do it with Trubisky. So I, I still think, yes, a large part of the development failures goes on Matt Nagy. But again, it, it's pretty much, I'd probably go like 60, 40, 60% Matt Nagy's inability to actually be good with scheming plays. And the 40% is just, hey, Trubisky's just not the guy we hoped he could be. And I just, you just, Spoke to it yourself. I mean, there's been offensive struggles with Pittsburgh. So if there's already that, bringing in a guy like Trubisky who needs all the help and assistance he can get from coaching and personnel, et cetera, I, I just don't see how that's going to be successful right out of the gates. What did Trubisky do well that they should have emphasized? What did he do poorly that they didn't get away from? What he did well, when they were running RPOs to begin with, that's when he started having some success, when he could kind of improvise a little bit and, again, use that athleticism that he does have. Because, like I said, I mean, he is a mobile guy, but after he suffered a couple injuries, he kind of abandoned the run. And in 2018, if you recall, when the Bears made the postseason, granted, a lot of that was because of the defense and what they historically were doing to produce points on that side of the ball and all the turnovers they created. But when they would get that dominance offensively themselves, it's because Trubisky was extending plays. He would be mobile, and by that time that he would set the throw, a receiver would end up being open or he could scramble for a first down or a touchdown, whatever it may be. And then when he started coming back after the injuries and after they brought on Nick Foles and whatnot, 
he just kind of got scared. I, I don't know if he was afraid of contact or they were trying to limit him from really being mobile, but that's really when you saw a big decline in Trubisky because he's not a good pocket passer, right? He needs to move around, create opportunities, and use his feet. But when you keep him set in one spot, that's when you really see his limitations because the arm strength isn't there. And again, the precision and accuracy is just nowhere to be found on a consistent basis. So I, I wish he would have been more just free with that and more creative in that sense. And really the Bears should have probably just let him sling it a little bit more so because, again, once he got into like Nagy's second and third year, you saw Nagy kind of recycling the same things. And that's when other teams started catching on to it. And it was incredibly predictable with all the lateral offense that, did nothing so at that point you just had to believe let him be him and they wouldn't do it and then again he wasn't able to develop again Danny Burke is with us host of the Chicago City cast you can check him out on Beeson so knowing that he's coming to Pittsburgh now what expectations should we have for him as opposed to what we saw last year with all the limitations that existed with Ben Roethlisberger? I honestly, what you'll get a little bit difference, again, it all comes back to the mobility because, I mean, I know you guys all know the offensive line issues that are present and what needs to be addressed in Pittsburgh. But Trubisky at least can extend plays in that sense, right? I mean, Big Ben obviously was pretty much a statue out there. So that was a concern with him. And I was talking to even one of my buddies about it. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, if Big Ben took him to the playoffs, imagine what Trubisky can do. I'm like, all right, that's fair. But that was also to the beneficiary of the Ravens dealing with so many injuries. The Browns just being not a good team whatsoever. But now you got a Bengals team that's really solid. A Ravens team, I think, is arguably going to be one of the tops in the AFC. And then I guess the Browns are a question mark but overall in terms of the win-loss I really don't see it being an improvement I, I think it's going to be a decline if anything you're probably going to be right around that 500 mark or below it since you have the 17 games I'd probably say you're under it if anything because at least Big Ben you could rely on him to make those deep passes every now and then to Deontay Johnson or Claypool deep I just don't think again you can rely on Trubisky doing that like Ben did like at least he could toss it up and have someone down there but Trubisky that's not who he is that's not what he's ever been here's an argument I've heard advanced and you tell me if you agree with it or not that Marcus Mariota and Mitch Trubisky are basically the same guy. It's just that one had the benefit of the team that he left getting worse after he left, and the other was stuck watching the team that he left get better in Marcus Mariota. Like, is that is that fair to say that basically they're the same quarterback in terms of what they can bring, what their ceiling is, but we all have a higher anticipation and expectation for Trubisky now because the Bears look worse without him, whereas the Titans have gotten better after Mariota got benched I for think, Tannehill. Yeah, I, I think that definitely plays a role in terms of how the teams did afterward because it's not like Tannehill's a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. He does enough to get the job done in the regular season, but then when it comes to postseason, it's a whole different story. But they are definitely comparable quarterbacks in terms of their skill set and really just where they peaked, it seems, that is so far. I mean, they're not old veterans by any means. I mean, Trubisky a little bit younger in that sense. But, yeah, I think they are comparable. But I think in that argument, Mariota probably does get the short end of the stick because there was a time where Bears fans thought we were going to get Marcus Mariota in some kind of trade or as a backup or something. And it's like, well, we don't really want to see a Mitch Trubisky 2.0. So they are very similar. And, yeah, I don't think it's really fair to either to say, hey, this guy's for sure definitively better than the other. He can do this. 
this and he can't do that. Now they're pretty much the same. And, you know, we've seen as a more recent, a bigger sample size at Trubisky. And again, I just, if it didn't work in Chicago in an easier division, there's just no way it can work in a tough AFC and one of the toughest divisions. So I just think he's set up for failure from the start. Why didn't he go to the Giants? That, that's the million-dollar question, right? I guess it's because he wants to play and start right away. But I was arguing on the City Cats today, Tim. I'm like, well, if you don't believe you can beat out Daniel Jones, well, that's what, what yeah, exactly. You if you if you don't feel like you can beat out Daniel Jones, or let me rephrase that, if the organization that has Brian Dable, who's his buddy, right? Mm-hmm. If if that organization thinks that it's not a hundred percent clear that you can beat out Daniel Jones. And you're only comfortable if your next best competition is Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins. What's that say? <laughs> it said so much. That was my first reaction. I'm like, how? I, I thought it was almost set in stone. He was going to the Giants because it made a lot of sense having the familiarity with Dable's offense, a great offensive mind. And again, yeah, if you don't have any confidence, you can beat out Daniel Jones. I don't see how that's alluring to the Steelers to want to bring him on. And at the same time, I mean, Tim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, if you're investing in Mitchell Trubisky and hey, maybe they go in the draft, maybe they don't. I would have probably just went with Dwayne Haskins at that point, to be quite honest with you, if you're going with Trubisky, because I get it. Haskins hasn't done really anything, hasn't had any experience. He had the off the field issues, but talent wise, who knows? Haskins could probably produce just as much because we haven't seen Trubisky in a year. And yeah, anyone's going to look good in Dable's offense when you're having a huge lead and you're coming in with the bills. But yeah, I mean, it just does not exude confidence. The fact that he thought he was going to start with Pittsburgh and couldn't beat out Daniel Jones, maybe. Getting Danny Burke with us. Check him out in the Chicago City cast and watch him and listen to him on VEASAN. The winning percentage that Trubisky has as opposed to other starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's like, you know, Lamar Jackson and, uh, you know, now that Brady's back, Brady, Patrick Mahomes. He's like fifth or sixth. How much of that is actually on the shoulders of Mitch Trubisky and how much of it was because the defense was so good on the other side of the ball while he was there? Tim, this is what drives me crazy because for some reason the media narrative this brief offseason has been showing all these stats for Trubisky that he's higher than these other guys, which winning percentage, all right, fine. But some of them are just so random. And that, again, in the guys I'm talking about who for some reason still think he was the main reason they had success in 2018, it's just they're delusional because, like you said, it was a majority of the defense. They had so many takeaways. I mean, Eddie Jackson had a historical year getting pick sixes left and right. Roquan Smith is a rookie. Khalil Mack getting forced from That was his great year, Khalil Mack, in 2018 with the Bears. That defense was one of the best if not the best I've ever seen and Mitch Trubisky gets credited because of that winning percentage when in reality a lot of that success was because of the defense and when they needed him to step up offensively he didn't really do it they would just do halfback draws and he could get offense or if there were good spurts of offense it would be because Mitch was being creative scrambling or finding the open guy at the last second which he abandoned the rest of his time with Chicago but those numbers are so misleading Tim and that's what people will use to hype you up that he's a good quarterback but he's just not going to get the job done at this point you're just settling for below average quarterback play at this point if you're Pittsburgh in the harder conference in the AFC well that's it and and if they're going to do that then why bother taking up whatever cap room is being soaked up by his signing just if he's going to be a seven or eight win guy then just win five or six with Rudolph like, right. that's, that's my view. That's my opinion. I mean, like, 
to me, it just feels like you're taking money that could be used to get a good offensive lineman and you're throwing it at a quarterback room that already basically has two replicants of what exists in Mitch Trubisky, and you haven't even gotten to the draft yet. It's like not like you need another arm for crying out loud. You can find one of those. So if if he's not going to do better than what Ben did last year, then you might as well just go forward with what you got, maybe draft the first-round quarterback if you truly believe in one that's there, and suck it up and deal. If you don't, you get Rudolph, and then who knows? Maybe you're in a better draft position. This is just their quest, as usual, to think we can maintain where we are, try to get in the playoffs, and hopefully it works out, which it hasn't for the last five years and which it hasn't for nine of the past 11. Right, and that's exactly what it seems from an outside viewpoint, too, right? I mean, Pittsburgh's kind of stuck in this happy medium where it's like, all right, we're always going to be on the bubble of the playoffs. And like you said, when we get there, okay, let's just hope everything falls our way. I mean, you knew there were limitations with Big Ben, but again, at least he would have random highlights of spurts where he could have explosive plays. And with Trubisky, I really think you take a step back because the division's getting better, the conference is getting better, and you're really just settling for Trubisky. It seems like Pittsburgh, like you said, kind of an abrupt move because everybody's making their quarterback decisions now and Deshaun Watson with a hot name for a second but you're obviously carrying a lot of baggage with him but it seemed like they just rushed to get a quarterback because they needed to be a part of the quarterback carousel right now and I get it it's not a deep quarterback draft but you're right if you know that because of the limitations of the available quarterbacks right now what's the point of extending out that contract when you're not going to be getting any better you're going to be the same or more than likely worse than you are right now so I just don't think the Steelers are thinking logically on this one how is he with uh, criticism how is he when you know the media and the fans get on him no man he was great I mean he's a very likable person there is nothing from a from a media or fan standpoint where it's like ah, I don't like this guy it was just he had the high expectations because the Bears have never had a legit quarterback. They trade up to get him, and then all the pressure's there, and he starts out okay, but you never saw that improvement. And he took the criticism fine. I mean, he's a, again, he's very likable. He's laid back, and he's not going to snap at anyone. So he's a respected guy, and you, hear, and you hear a lot of coaches praise him. So from that standpoint, you guys are lucky to have him, but from a talent standpoint, it, it really doesn't translate in that area. Yeah, and I guess I don't have a lot to add besides that. I think Danny sums it up really well. The only thing I can point out is he does have nine and a half inch hands. And as we all know, in watching the Kenny Pickett saga about his hand size, that's really important. And you can see how great that hand size was, how important it was to Trubisky last year, holding that clipboard on the sidelines behind Josh Allen. He did a great job of that. And apparently that made him a quarterback who's worth $5 million more million in a starting job than what he was worth after he left Chicago. Hey, you figure it out. When we come back, we'll talk NHL. Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network, joins me for his weekly sit-down segment. And we talk about what the immediate future holds for the Penguins with their three-game road trip against the Nashville Predators, St. Louis Blues, and even the suddenly tough Arizona Coyotes. That's coming up next here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Back in the Pittsburgh CityCast, Penguins managed to get four out of a possible six points during their tough three-game homestand that featured games against the Atlantic Division-leading Panthers, the Metro Division-leading Hurricanes, and the currently playoff-bound Las Vegas Golden Knights. Pens beat Vegas and the Hurricanes 4-2 after losing to Florida 4-3. Things don't get much easier now that the Penguins are heading out of town for three games against the Western Conference. Can they pull out at least four or six again? Well, they could. And if you think Mike Sullivan's team, currently with 81 points, is worthy of tracking down the Hurricanes at 87 points atop the Metro, then they should. What lies ahead for the Penguins? A Tuesday night game against Nashville. That's tonight. Thursday night against St. Louis. Saturday against the Arizona Coyotes against Phil Kessel and company. Here's a quick look at what the Penguins will be facing and some of the corresponding odds and numbers. Nashville tonight, 8 o'clock. The Predators, 72 points tied with the Wild for third in the Central Division atop the Western Conference wildcard standings, too. The Preds have won four of their last five. They have done so in convincing fashion. In those four victories, they've given up just four goals. In the five games overall, they've netted 4.8 goals per contest which is why I was saying earlier, take them as a money line underdog tonight against the Penguins at home. They are eighth in the league in goals per game at 2.78. They have the sixth best power play at 24.4. Roman Yossi, 66 points, tops amongst NHL defensemen, 17 goals, second best after Kale McCarr of Colorado. Yossi, two goals in the team's win over the Wild on Thursday. He has 10 points already in March over six games He's plus 310 to score against the Pens. I like that, but I do love plus 133 to get at least one point. So I would bet on Roman Yossi if you're looking for an individual bet. St. Louis, the Blues have won two or three, getting five of possible six points and wins over the Rangers and Predators and an overtime loss against Winnipeg. St. Louis totaled 17 goals in those dates. Craig Berube's team... Had been in a bit of a funk before that, dropping four in a row, which negated a four-game winning streak dating back to February the 19th. That said, the Blues are still second in the Central behind Colorado with 76 points. The Avs and Flames, the only teams with a higher total in the West. Blues power play, the third best in the NHL. If you want to bet on them to get a power play goal against the Penguins, 26.3%. Individually, though, they're getting it done with balance. Jordan Cairo, the team's top point getter with 59 that's 26th in the league so it might be tough to find somebody that you like as an individual point getter for St. Louis in this game uh, if it's Vili Husso in goal maybe want to think about the under 2.24 goals against 2.32 is what Tristan Jari puts up so that one depending on where they set the line has a good chance of staying under six I would think and as far as Arizona goes it's been an awful year for the Coyotes. They have just 42 points tied with Seattle for last overall in the Western Conference. Only the Montreal Canadiens have fewer in the whole league. Yet Kessel and company have been rolling of late, winning five of six. They've averaged 5.17 goals per game. Two of those victories were against playoff-bound teams in Colorado and Toronto. Their latest victory, a 5-3 result over Ottawa on Monday. That's what I told you to play, if you remember that. If you were listening, I said, take the Coyotes take the over I didn't have Lawson Kraus with a hat trick he managed to get one even strength power play and shorthanded for the three goals the first of his career and 
according to ESPN stats and info, it's the eighth hat trick where a player scored at least one goal in each of those three ways in Coyotes and or Jets history. The last one by Antoine Vermette on January the 26th, 2014 at Vancouver. As for Kessel, he had an assist. He has 30 on the season, but he's in a goal-scoring slump, having not scored since February the 9th against the Kraken. That's 11 games in a row. One blow for the Coyotes. Defenseman Jacob Chitrin suffered a lower body injury on Saturday night versus the Bruins. He'll be out of the lineup two to four weeks. He has seven goals and 14 assists on the season. So if you are planning ahead, those are some numbers to keep in mind. Not sure how much hockey we're going to talk the rest of the way, maybe a little bit with Mike Pursuta, but we're going to be very basketball-heavy the last couple of shows in advance of March Madness. So I wanted to give you a bit of a peek ahead at what lies for the National Hockey League. Some other games tonight. I like the Coyotes again at Montreal. Getting a goal and a half with the way they've been playing. Plus 138 to win over six and a half. Yeah, go with all those with the Yotes. Why jump off that moving train, right? Maybe parlay Edmonton and Vancouver. A couple late games at minus 278 for the Oilers, minus 150 for the Canucks, with the Wings and Devils in town, respectively. Here's a dangerous one. The Panthers, you'd think, could roll all over the Sharks, but they won two games recently back-to-back against the Kings. Plus 210 on the money line to win at home against Florida. That might not be a bad investment. And then there's a really interesting one between the Kings and Avalanche, the Avs, on the puck line, plus 114 if you want them at a goal and a half, or if you want the Kings, who before they're a little slump against the Sharks have been playing decent hockey, plus 180 to win. That's probably the direction I would lean on that one. But let's get to Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Without further ado, we'll talk to Metz about all things Pens here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Uh, what do you think the Penguins are going to do between now and the trade deadline? Much of anything, I... Maintain my position that the harder Brian Burke sells that they're not going to do anything, which he keeps doing over and over again, the more likely they are to do something. I would agree with you there. Really quick, I want to throw at you when you talk about people deleting tweets. If only Mitch Trubisky had thought of doing that uh, with some of the <laughs> tweets that are floating around today. But, uh, you know, I digress. When you uh, look at the Penguins going into the trade deadline here, Tim, I think for sure the Penguins are players. There's been a whole lot of whispers league-wide, a lot of the Canadian media trying to tie them to the Vancouver Canucks, of course, because why wouldn't they tie them to GMJR as he sits up there on his throne above Patrick Alvine and the cavalcade of other assistant GMs. But I think that they are going to find a way to do some sort of you know bigger move than maybe we anticipate. Jeff Carter came out of the weeds last year just days after Ron Hextall said, We don't feel like we need to make a move. We're pretty comfortable with where we are. And then he made a fairly significant trade just in terms of the name value of the player he acquired. So I think when you look at the team this year, they clearly could use a goal scoring forward. Those do not come cheaply. They also do not come off of the waiver wire and they don't come for no money. So I think that you will see him push more chips to the center of the table than we ever would have dreamt that they would this year. And them kind of saying, uh, oh, no, we're, you know, we don't have a lot of capital. We don't have a lot of mobility with the salary cap. I think that that is telling us that they are working hard to find a way to make a hockey trade, and that would ship out a body such as Kasperi Kapanen or another piece or two to bring in a, a more attractive asset that eats up a little bit more cap space so they can kind of offset those puzzle pieces. 
Brian Metzer with us, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. You can hear him during intermissions, post-game, Penguins Live weekly, and once a week here on the Breakfast with Ben's podcast. Mets, I look at the Penguins right now, and I see a team that, if you line them up against any one of the teams that they're likely to face in the Eastern Conference, not even just the Metro, but just about anywhere in the East, they're just as likely to win a best-of-seven as they are to lose it. Uh, I don't know how many teams I would pick them to beat in a best-of-seven, but I could see them winning just about any one of them. And that goes for Carolina, and not necessarily because of what happened Sunday. They might have played their worst game of the three against Carolina and the one that they won. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought that they started the game against Carolina very well in comparison to the other two. They came out, they had their skating legs going. I didn't like that they gave up a two-on-one right off the opening faceoff. But they showed with Redeem Zahorna being in the lineup that he was going to bring a little different dynamic. His size was a factor. He was forechecking. I saw Brian Rust pretty much out skating a lot of Carolina Hurricanes. He got in behind the defense on the play that set up a great scoring opportunity for um, Mark Friedman, even though he wasn't able to cash that one in. And then, of course, with them getting the first goal uh, from Brian Boyle, they kind of caught Carolina in the same sort of mistake that they were catching the Penguins in in the first two games. And when I say that, I mean Marty Natchez tries to make a clearing attempt from deep in his own zone. He takes a hit from Boyle, if I'm not mistaken, that knocked him down while he was in the process. Marino bats it down, starts the scoring play, and Teddy Bluger finishes with a great pass to Brian Boyle. So all of those things were nice. They continued that in the second period to a certain extent. Their power play wasn't that effective, but you were going against the number one PK in the league. And then the third period came where they were blown away in terms of shots, which I was really impressed with Carolina because they were playing on back-to-back days with the time change. They had to push the start time back because of that by yeah. 25 minutes. But when you look at all these hey, things... Can, can I stop you there, Mets? When did they figure that out? I, You know what? I didn't know anything about it until I was sitting there waiting for the game to begin. And I'm like, boy, it's getting later and later and later. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, they pushed it back by 25 minutes. So I don't know if the teams knew earlier in the day, but I sure as heck didn't know. And I was sitting there already in my seat waiting for the game to start. See, I heard on Steige's pregame show as I was pulling in that it was delayed. So I ended up getting there about what would have been a half hour before faceoff. There were some Penguins officials in the lunchroom who seemed pretty assured of the information when I brought it up as a question as soon as I got in there. So, like, I, I wonder... How does that process get moved up the ladder to the league? And at what point, who realized it? Who complains? Is that like whoever their player rep is? Is that Jordan Stahl? Was he the one that did the math and said, hey, we lost an hour of sleep? Like, how does that go down? Yeah, I I feel like from the way I heard it told was when the Penguins requested, because it was their request apparently to move the game from 6 p.m. to 1 p.m. So that happened weeks ago uh, whenever they had finally announced that. There was speculation then that the league or Penguins or Hurricanes did not realize that it was spring forward day, that the time change was going to happen. So they also, and I think what really made the biggest difference here was Carolina's face-off on Saturday was at 3.15. So that was not even an early afternoon game. It was later. So by the time they finished up, they got into Pittsburgh. Uh, the time change happened. And then, of course, they had to be at the rink early the next day. I feel like they did notice it probably overnight and started the ball rolling they just didn't really get the news out to the rest of us early in the day and i think it broke sometime around where the pregame would have been on which no indictment of that show but i i wasn't listening at the time i was already at the <laughs> arena 
And I'm uh, telling Skygie. <laughs> yeah, don't rat me out, Tim. But uh, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings to say I wasn't listening to his pregame show. But I didn't hear him break that news, so I was sitting there like a dummy, saying, "Boy, this face-off must be getting pushed back. Maybe it's a national game. Maybe it's this. You know, how you always think of those things. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think they did know early in the day, probably more so than any of us did. And the league and Penguins and, and Hurricanes made that decision jointly once they realized that. Yeah, we're kind of putting a burden on on everybody here, having them play the day before and then have that hour lost. Matt, back to the thought already in progress as far as their ability to, you know, hang with any team, but maybe not be definitively better than any team. Yeah. You know, in a way, like, I feel sorry for them if they were to lose in the first round again because it might not be as indicative as what the series is going to feel like. You know what I mean? Like, if they were to lose after being upset by what we deem to be lesser teams in each of the last three years, like they might actually have home ice advantage in a two, three game against the Rangers. And the Rangers might be just as big as good, if not better, especially by the time they get all their players in from the trade deadline. Well, that's exactly right. And and when you look at this situation, Tim, it's going to be heartbreaking for a lot of teams this year in the Eastern conference, because right up, right from square one, some really good teams are going to be eliminated. When you look at the league-wide standings right now as they sit today, Colorado's at the top with 89 points, but coming down, it's Carolina, Florida, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Rangers, Toronto, before you get to the next Western Conference team. Then you have the Boston Bruins right there who are destined to be a wild-card team, and the Washington Capitals are at 11 with St. Louis in between those two. So when you look at all of that, there's three Western teams stirred into the top 11. All the rest is Eastern Conference. So it's very East heavy this year. And it's going to be a really tough situation for whoever has to play whoever. And to your point, the Penguins are lining up, it looks like, to have to face the New York Rangers. And they had that really impressive victory against them a couple weeks back. But already, I think we can see it you know, in the tea leaves, Tim. Hot goalie syndrome awaits because yeah, you got yeah. Igor Shesterkin. They only scored one goal in a win against him. Are you going to win every game one nothing? I highly doubt it. I think Tristan Jari was outstanding against the Rangers that day. If he even blinks, that's a tie game. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. I think the Penguins could feasibly beat anybody they'd have to play. And the reward for maybe getting by the Rangers could very well be the Carolina Hurricanes at this point. So it is not going to be an easy road to the conference final where you then luck out and face either the Panthers or the Lightning or one of those other teams. So I just think that the Eastern Conference is just stacked and it is going to send home some really quality teams early. Uh, one, One final note that I was going to mention about the game yesterday when the Penguins were blown away in the third period by Carolina. 11 of Carolina's 23rd period shots came in the final seven minutes and six seconds. So they were a team that was supposedly tired and they played their best portion of that hockey game as it was expiring when they were trying to get things back into their, you know, into their uh, range and either tying it up or, or, or doing what they needed to do. So it's, it's going to be very tough for the Penguins, no matter who they run into. Brian Metz with us. Some other stats from that game that leapt off the page at me. The first of which was, the giveaways the penguins had 11 and the canes had none <laughs> at ppg paints arena by the way yeah i that was an eye opener for me too and i don't know that i'm putting a ton of credence in that only because when but you the, look yeah, at the situation they also had 13 to 3 giveaways in favor of the or takeaways in favor of the penguins so how does that work yeah i mean i mean i guess technically it's different but you know usually those numbers are a little bit more um kind of they're split a little bit more evenly 
You don't see that well, kind I of will, disparity. I will tell you this, that the quote-unquote fancy stats for this game were very heavily slanted in the direction of the Carolina yes, Hurricanes. they were. They led, they led in high danger. They led in scoring chances. They led in Corsi, they led in Fenwick, and expected goal by by a pretty wide margin. I mean, they, they were in like 67% range for the ex, uh, expected goal. So it, it was very lopsided when you look at it that way. Now, I saw the Penguins make some mistakes by the offensive zone blue line again, which is something they've been doing a little bit too often over the last few weeks. And the biggest difference from this in the last couple Carolina games is when Carolina turned those the other direction – they got a big save from Jari, or they got a defensive play to break up the odd man rush. So that helped them. And they, to me, that put a spotlight on the fact that Marcus Pedersen was out of the lineup and your defense had a little bit of a different look that played a little more effectively against this speedy group. Because when you look at the last two games, as well as a couple others that popped up in between those two Carolina games, Pedersen, who's been so good all year, has found himself playing some rough hockey. He has not been able to keep his footing in front of the net. He's been falling down trying to cover guys. He's been finding ways to have pucks pop right through his body. You may recall the goal I think Carolina scored uh, a few weeks back where they chipped a puck from the side of the net that went right through Pedersen's legs to the side of the goal where they were able to score on the Penguins. So taking him out, and it may just been some new guy energy, I think that they offset some of that speed and scoring chances just with a different look defensively. That doesn't mean that it could have gone sideways the other way had they not gotten saves or good defense because that's something that's plagued them lately. But the point you made with the giveaways, et cetera, was very eye-popping. I can't believe Carolina had no giveaways. I watched Evan Rodriguez steal a puck from uh, Auntie Ranta down in the zone. I mean, Ranta tries to play the puck up the wall, and, and he was so quick he got right there and picked it off and made a pass to the front of the net. That's a giveaway. Textbook. But the difference is, I guess, maybe they flip and make it a takeaway because there was no giveaways for them, but the Penguins have all those takeaways, 13. So I think it's just a, a, a matter of judgment of how you award that if you're going to call it a takeaway or a giveaway. They're also really good in the face-off circle. Yeah, it was the first time in a while where the Penguins were eye-poppingly good in the face-off circle because they're usually good for a period, and then they let it slip away. Uh, they did let it slip away a little bit yesterday, but still finished with an overall winning percentage of 60. Jeff Carter had won 80% of his draws through the first period. And then uh, Sidney Crosby was at 67, I believe, after one. They finished the game with Sid at 70 and Jeff Carter at 59. So he started to lose a few. But Sid was uh, really good, I thought, going 16-7. and seven, And uh, Carter was 10-7. and seven. So the two of them took the bulk of the draws with Teddy Bluger only taking 12 of them. And he was still just under 60%. So I feel like they had a really good day in that regard. That should have helped their puck possession a little bit more than it did. And it might have helped them be more productive in terms of the scoring that they put together just because they were able to maybe start some rushes with possession. But for me, that was something I enjoyed seeing because the faceoffs have been sort of a bugaboo for them. Penguins have the Predators, then they got the Blues, then they got Arizona. I can see them coming back with four of six. Can you, Mets? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's not going to be easy. I mean, the Predators are, uh, you know, they're, they're making a little bit of a run in terms of trying to get themselves uh, up the up the standings here. I mean, when you look at where they are in their division, they're in the four spot trying to catch the Minnesota Wild, who they are currently tied with at the time of our recording. And when you look at the Western wildcard situation, 
You have Nashville in the top spot with Vegas right behind them. But I, I do think you could you could do some work against the Predators. That should be a team that you you may have some success against. St. St. Louis, for some reason, strikes me as a team that plays a little bit more of a heavy, bigger game against the Penguins, at least in years past. But I, I still like their chances, as you just pointed to, of coming back with at least four of six, maybe even five, because if you can get yourself into overtime of a game against one of those two that you don't play so well in and still get that point, I think that puts you in a good position to close it out with a win against Arizona, who, if you're lucky, Phil Kessel's having a baby again, and he will not play. He'll put one shift in and then go home. Penguins on the money line against the Preds, minus 110. The Preds at minus 106. The over-under is only at six, so they've got the half goal shaved off there. Um, Probably a good move. There have been a couple unders for the Penguins. Uh, At least uh, they did against – that barely held under against the Hurricanes. Like, if you had the under in that game, you were sweating it because (laughs) it looked nice and tidy, 2-1 late. Empty netter, okay, that's fine. Next thing you know, you're holding your breath to make sure that the Hurricanes don't get an extra shot in the offensive zone with like 19 seconds left. Well, yeah, I mean, as you just pointed to, Tim, you had an empty netter, an Ajo goal, and then another empty netter too. So it was like, okay, you're you're looking at the way this all came together. And it it reminded me of, and I think we may have talked about it back then, how the over-under was completely decimated in the Lightning game to start the season between them and the Penguins where John Cooper pulled his goalie with almost seven minutes remaining in the game. And the Penguins scored what three empty netters in that game, if I'm not mistaken. So it completely destroyed bet slips uh, in the waning moments of that game. So uh, yeah, I think that when you look at the Preds and Penguins, the only thing that gives me hope that maybe it could go over six though. And you know, you can go the other direction is the Penguins have gotten themselves a little bit of secondary scoring lately. You got Brian Boyle on the board, Heinen scored a couple defensemen chipping in over the last couple of days. And if you can combine that with your stars who have been pretty effective in putting the puck in the basket, maybe you can uh, get over that six number against the Nashville Predators. However, they are pretty tough to play and quote unquote smash them. All right. So my thanks to Brian Metzer. We'll catch up with Mets next week. After all the basketball action this weekend, we'll talk to Mike Persuda and Anthony Jaskolski before the week is out and preview the brackets. It all gets going tonight. Texas Southern, I like them at minus three and a half, and I really like Wyoming getting four against Indiana. I think Indiana, I think Rutgers, two of the Big Ten teams playing in the playing games, some of the bloated pigs from the big conferences that ate up small school bids or smaller conference bids like I think SMU should have gotten, like I think Dayton should have gotten. Wyoming was a team I told you to look out for in their conference tournament, ended up losing to Boise State. Uh, Down 14, scrambled back, made it 7, but Boise State ended up winning. I like the Cowboys. I've liked them all year. Getting 4, I wouldn't mind parlaying those two, Texas Southern and Wyoming tonight, or playing them individually. Those are my calls to start the tournament. And I'm big on Bryant, big on Peter Kiss and company tomorrow night in the other 16-16 matchup. We'll talk more about that with Mike Pursuta on the Pittsburgh CityCast tomorrow. Brought to you by Bet Rivers.